Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 23, and we're reviewing Vinland Saga Part 1. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode, so you've been warned. And just like that, here we are. We're in December, right in the heart of it. Who knew we could make it all the way to this part of 2020? It's bittersweet. More sweet than bitter, um, but yeah. Is it? <laughs> sweet, no, sweet in like the sense that the year's almost over, and hopefully next year we can go to some level of normalcy. I think the one of the toughest parts for me, um, I guess tough in the sense that I, I'm you know, sad about it and I miss it, is that the 2020 cosplay season is like non-existent. Yeah, that's true. I, I do miss going to conventions and, you know, meeting up with other weebs and sharing in that weeb culture. But like you said, hopefully 2021 will bring about a brighter horizon. Yes, let's hope. Um, 2020 would have been my 18th year of cosplaying. I still count it because I still technically wore cosplay this year. So, you know, I'm just, I'm going to keep this streak going. It's 18 years. 2021 will be 19 when fingers crossed we actually have cons um yeah i miss it this year was gonna be what my lisa lisa cosplay from jojo part two so i'll Mm. I'll push that to next year what were you gonna cosplay i think i was planning on doing jotaro but from part one or it's part one part three or part four part three from stardust crusaders but i don't think i have the build for that cosplay in terms of like muscular build but well to be fair i don't think any real human being has the build that jotaro or anyone from that part or parts of one and two <laughs> yeah. have yeah that's true but you know like some people like to go all in on their cosplays so again i'm not looking to be like a um like an arnold schwarzenegger type build for the cosplay but just you know enough to to get by but yeah we'll see what next year brings and hopefully i can get into shape for that cosplay but but we'll see hey as long as the outfit is on point and you embrace the character and their personality and their their mannerisms that to me is is a a great cosplay i don't think any anyone really has the body of of any character from jojo or probably most other anime but Mm -hmm. again it's all about the effort and and having fun with cosplay as cheesy as that sounds no that's true of course and before we jump into vinland saga um, we wanted to share another collab that we were recently a part of so we were guests on common ride with me a podcast about stunt filled shows in the, the genre known as tokusatsu For those unfamiliar, like we were at first, tokusatsu is the genre that houses shows and movies like Godzilla, Power Rangers, Kamen Rider, Ultraman, etc. The host, Kip, invited us on to talk about the holidays and holiday-themed episodes for VR Troopers and Big Bad Beetleborgs for their December-themed month titled Kamen Ride My Sleigh Tonight. We had a ton of fun reliving the 90s and feeling the major nostalgia while watching these shows, and it was it was awesome. We are, we are, V R. Hey, that, that opening slaps, okay? It slaps. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely check out episode 59 of Common Ride with me to hear our tokusatsu and holiday discussion. 
And be sure to check out Come and Ride With Me at their website, comeandridewithme.com. Follow them on Twitter at Come and Ride With Me. And find their podcast on all podcast streaming services. We'll also link the podcast episode and info on Come and Ride With Me in the show notes. So let's change gears here. Let's talk about Vinland Saga. I feel like the last couple of podcast episodes have been about shows that were probably, at least on some level, a little more lighthearted than Vinland Saga. Um, Vinland Saga has, at least I think, major Game of Thrones vibes. So this will be... um. This will be a really good discussion, but I feel like as we talk about this show, especially when we dive into maybe like part two, it's going to be a very deep discussion, which I'm looking forward to. Yeah, and I know that this anime came out in 2019 and it was, I think, one of the highest reviewed anime of that year. I think so, yeah. Yeah, but I think it's still a very fitting time to watch an anime themed around Vikings. Um Earlier this year, I actually watched the History Channel historical drama Vikings, which I think is wrapping up its sixth or final season um, at the end of this month. I think they just announced that they're releasing the final episodes on Amazon Prime. Um, So that was one aspect of Vinland Saga that really piqued my interest because like, I've been very invested in viking history after watching that history channel show and in the gaming world this viewing also coincides with the release of assassin's creed valhalla which apparently through twitter revealed that they are doing some sort of manga crossover with vinland saga are they really yeah oh my god there was like a there was a video i forgot on whose account but it showed like these stylized manga panels that revealed the main character of the video game which i think is his name is ivor his or her name is ivor and then the protagonist of finland saga which is torfin um i haven't played assassin's creed valhalla although assassin's creed is one of my favorite video game series but i think they both take place around the same time period which is 1000 a.d Wait, so by crossover, do you mean that the Assassin's Creed characters will appear in a Vinland Saga, like an OVA or something? Or will the Vinland Saga characters appear in like a, a, an Assassin's Creed DLC of some sort? Like what, what type of crossover? It looks like it's just a manga crossover. So I don't know if most of you are familiar with Assassin's Creed, but the characters usually are like fictional characters that are part of the are that are part of history like as sort of a hidden history. So I'm pretty sure like Torfin was based on a historical character but for this anime it was they took creative license to um put together this story but I think in terms of the crossover again this fictional viking character Eivor is probably going to cross paths with this fictionalized version of Torfin um, for a crossover story, I guess. So a crossover in the manga? Is the manga still ongoing or something? I don't know if it's ongoing, but I'm sure, again, since this takes place not in an alternate timeline of history, but they'll probably find an event in history where they can connect both their stories and and just go on from there. That's interesting. I mean, 
I wouldn't know if they're if the manga is still ongoing or not, or what the plans are there, because this is strictly anime, and that's we don't read true. manga or light novels. We just watch anime. Yeah, <laughs> but that's cool. I, I, if I were a manga reader, I think I'd be really into that. Mm-hmm. Um, if they did something where the Vinland Saga characters made an appearance in Assassin's Creed, that'd be awesome. That would be absolutely amazing. Yeah, but you probably have to pay for it through DLC. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that's how it goes nowadays. We should just be thankful that we have our PS5s, and if we have to dish out a little bit of money to to play something extra, then it is what it is. Mm-hmm. We can't can't win them all, I guess. Yeah, but um, going back to subject um, with Vinland Saga, um, again, the source material being the Vikings was again it caught my attention because like Vikings have a very interesting history as the sort of northern precursors of, like, the Mongol Empire or any of those, like, conquering empires. And I think they have enough of that sort of mythological quality to be the focus of an anime. So I was definitely excited um, when we decided to watch this as our next anime. Yeah, I was surprised by the the subject, the subject matter in this. When I first heard about Vinland Saga and people raving about it I looked up the the synopsis or the the summary and when I read Vikings I was like that's different like in a good way like it's anime can be very repetitive very cliche I mean if you think Mm -hmm. about how many slice of life and romance comedy anime there are out there that focus on a couple of high school kids in their junior slash senior year about to graduate and they need to you know confess their love to one another but there's this big love triangle or love love web going on i mean that that alone is like one genre where it's just repeated over and over and over again although slice of life romance has a special place in my heart Mm -hmm. um or isekai you think about those and then you've got something like this that's a very intense story a very deep story set in the world of vikings for a japanese-based um, TV genre to take that on is bold and awesome. Yeah, and as you had mentioned earlier, um, similarly, I was expecting this to be sort something sort of epic along the lines of Game of Thrones. Um, again, with its story execution and being rooted in that historical world of Vikings. Um, I think for this first part, we watched the first 12 episodes and not to say that I'm underwhelmed, but for now, it just seems like it's a very linear sort of story, which centers around a quest for revenge. Yeah, I can I can feel that. So earlier I said it has Game of Thrones vibes, right? But that doesn't mean, which this may not be super clear, but that doesn't mean to me it feels the same as when I watch Game of Thrones. Like Game mm-hmm. of Thrones just feels so grand and just epic and like there's there's this huge world out there that we are kind of you know a part of or watching it unfold as an audience member um but with vinland saga while i can find some similarities between this show and uh, game of thrones it doesn't feel as grand in scale it feels very in this like small bubble right like obviously Mm -hmm. the world is very big they're traveling all over the place all the time um it's I guess technically international. I mean, you're talking about spending time in, in England when they were originally in, in Iceland. Um, so there, there's there's potential for it to be grand, but it's just so um, laser focused on Thorfinn's like 
his story, as you mentioned, and it's so linear that it just feels more intimate. I think that's the word I'm looking for. It's, mm-hmm. it's much more intimate than Game of Thrones. Yeah, and again, I'm not faulting the series for being, again, lukewarm in my eyes, because I'm sure in the second half it's going to pick up. But um, yeah, just watching these first 12 episodes, it felt like you said, it felt very contained. Like we were just following everything through the eyes of Torfinn. Um, but as like gratuitously violent as each episode was, again, it didn't like fully enthrall me, I guess. Well, hopefully that'll change with the second half. That's kind of something that I've noticed in, in some anime is that the first half um, sort of leaves you wanting more and then the second half delivers that plus more than you expected. Um, I, I've, again, heard wonderful things about this show. I'm enjoying it so far. I'm, I'm definitely invested yeah. in the story, um, but I would like to see them up the ante with the mm-hmm. second half. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, the The opening, on the other hand, is poo-poo. I'm sorry. It just screams in your face. I, like. I just... So here, here's my... Here's why I don't like the opening. This show has amazing animation. It's so well done. The colors and the environment are absolutely beautiful. And I use beautiful very deliberately, especially with a show like this that is very intense and, and gory. Um, the score is probably my favorite part. The score, the soundtrack, whatever you call it. The music is is just so elegant, so um, emotional. I, I haven't heard this type of score in an anime in quite some time. Um, and the opening just does not match. Like, I get the 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 impression they're trying to leave on you. Like, it's, it's intense and, like, it's Vikings and they go to war and they kill people and, you know, they're rebellious and all this stuff. But it's just so much. It's too moody. It's too intense for this show. It just doesn't match anything else that you're watching. You're talking about the song specifically, right? Correct. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah the, let me. Yeah. Th- let me be specific. It's the song. the The visuals in the opening, they're fine. I think they make perfect sense. They like introduce you to different characters without seemingly spoiling much. So I'm, I'm fine with that. But yeah, the song itself is just it's too much. Um, I can kind of as we've so it is one of the openings. Truthfully, that like. I'm skipping because I just don't want to hear it on occasion, you know, we'll listen to it. Um, and the first part of the opening, I think I could somewhat get into, but the second it starts to, you know, like digress or whatever into this screamo hot mess, it's just all downhill. Like it's, it's a hard pass for me. Yeah. The OP is just very heavy metal, screamo aggressive. Um, and for those of you who don't know, it's, uh, the song is Mukanjo by Survive Said the Prophet. Um, and I guess, like, I get that they're trying to go for the feeling of, like, what, how brutal the Vikings are supposed to be. But to kind of make a comparison with Attack on Titan, those openings are grand, right? And they're, they also, like, that show kind of takes place in this um, European, like, world. And I think that it infuses like that heavy metal with that kind of orchestral feel. And so I think if this show had an opening similar to what Linked Horizon did with Attack on Titans openings, I would have been more comfortable with that. But yeah, this one, when you listen to it and you get to the end where the guy's just screaming the lyrics, it just makes you feel bad. <laughs> well, I, I agree. I think Attack on Titans opening it like when I watch it, I feel inspired. Like I, I feel hype. I, I feel like really excited and like I don't know. I kind of imagine what the 
the um, Survey Corps is is kind of going through because I don't know it just it's very inspirational that song, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of the whole point of you know Shinzo Sasageo. But with this, it's like I don't know, like even the ending is very slow and beautiful, and I think that's a much better fit with the the show's um, score and soundtrack. Um, but I don't know, I just like I, I can't get over the the opening, and I keep skipping it and. I'm curious if they're going to change it for the second half or if they're keeping it. And if they're keeping it, I'll probably keep skipping it. Now that I think about it, the opening is probably just supposed to be reflective of like Torfin's mentality. Because um, again, he's on this quest for, for vengeance and we'll get more into that with the synopsis. Um, but yeah, it can be a bit much. That's yeah, that's a good point. I think it is trying. It's like reflective of his inner monologue, which I'm sure is just constant screaming because all he does in this first half is scream and cry. Um, he chills out a little bit when he gets older, but I, I could see that. I just I don't know. We'll see. Maybe it'll grow on me if I give it a chance. But as of right now, I am over it. With that said, let's jump into the synopsis. So we can talk a little more in depth about Thorfinn and his adventure. All right, so Vinland Saga is the 2019 anime adaptation of a Japanese historical manga series written and illustrated by Makoto Yukimura and produced by Wit Studio. Set in Dane-controlled England at the start of the 11th century, the story combines a dramatization of King Canute the Great's historical rise to power with a revenge plot centered on the historical explorer Torfinn, the son of a murdered ex-warrior. In episode one, Somewhere Not Here... In a prologue worthy of Game of Thrones' bloody gore levels, the mighty Tors dominates a Viking sea battle, but quickly grows sick of the R-rated violence and decides to go AWOL. Fifteen years later, he has settled down in Iceland with wife Helga, daughter Ilva, and brat Torfinn, who takes a page from cliché Disney mains and yearns to seek adventure and travel to the mythical Vinland, fluffed up through stories from the great adventurer Leif Erikson Day, Inga Dinga Durgan. Inga Dinga Durgan. When a runaway slave makes it to their settlement, the mighty Thors buys back his freedom from his master, Halfdan. The purchase proves to be a shitty ROI as the slave subsequently dies from hypothermia. May Odin be with him. So I have one question before we move on. Is it Thors, like they like the Japanese way of saying it, or is it Thors, like Thor? Because <laughs> I, I mean, I know they say Thors and Torf, Torfin in um in the show because obviously they're speaking japanese but i always assumed it was thor's like thor and then thorfinn but i could be wrong i mean you're the one watching vikings is that like (laughs) yeah (laughs) i I want to pronounce it correctly no i guess i'm going with the japanese pronunciation because i think like obviously the god of thunder they pronounce as thor but that's fair no that's fine i'll i'll continue with thor's and you can continue with tours, and we'll just know we're talking about the same person. <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to comment on is, like, Ilva, the daughter, is a very competent girl, but she seems to be a very heartless bitch. Yeah, she's um she's an independent woman, and she she's capable. She's she can hold her own for sure, but she also runs her mouth a lot. Yeah, I mean, when at the end she starts crying just because. Uh, Torres had purchased the slave um, in order to gain his freedom, but then he dies, and she just whines about how that was not a good investment on Torres' part. Yeah, I mean, she's not wrong, no, right? yeah, yeah. but she is a little heartless in saying that. 
Yeah. So I only wrote one note besides besides writing Leif Erikson, Hinga Tinga Turgen or Hinga Dinga Durgen or whatever in all caps. The only other note I wrote for this episode is Thor's is going to die. I bet he's a capable warrior <laughs> and a good person and a no great spoilers. father. <laughs> well, you said it in your synopsis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wrote he's a capable warrior, a good person and a great father. It seems he's going to die. That's, that's how it always goes, right? There's a fantastic character and they're just going to die. Simple as that. Yeah. We'll see that in a couple episodes. Ooh. <laughs> but in episode two, titled Sword, in a Norse galaxy far, far away, England's troops massacre a Viking settlement in Northumbria, and the Yelms Vikings, led by the square-faced Floki, try persuading the mighty Tors, a.k.a. the Troll of Yom, in their quest for revenge. Although hesitant, he agrees to join Floki the Four-Squared for the safety of his village. But of course, Game of Thrones-level scheming is plenty abound, as it is revealed that Floki the Foursquared has entrusted the conniving Askeladd and his band of rogue Vikings to assassinate the mighty Thors in his journey as punishment for going AWOL. So I want to know more about Thors and Floki. Is this like a play on words for Thor and Loki? Because they do kind of seem like opposite characters, right? Like he's mm -hmm. the, the heroic character, the good character, and he's obviously the antagonist, um, at least up to, the, to this point. So I just that's something I noticed. Um, but what really struck me about this episode is that everyone, all the men are so excited to go to war. They love war. Even the younger ones that have never been in battle are like, let's go to war. And you just get this feeling they're in for a rude awakening. I, I like love of war, I think is very different than doing one's duty of fighting to protect their people through a war. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think... Obviously, Thor's understands that difference. He abandoned the fight because he no longer wanted to kill. Um, you know, the, a switch was flipped in him and he said, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I, I want out of this life. Um, so he obviously understands that difference. But maybe he was on that same path as, as those kids, right? He, at one point, was young and was, you know, being a Viking was taught that war is everything. That's how you get into Valhalla. Um, so he probably thought the same thing, that it's so exciting to go and, like, kill other people. But I'm just, you know, at, by this point, I was wondering, like, how quickly or at what point will these kids face that same reality? Yeah, I know. And, again, you mentioned this in Viking tradition, like, it was honorable to be a warrior on a battlefield. And you get, um, like, a warrior's death on the battlefield was basically, like, your one-way ticket into Valhalla. Um, but, again, through Torz's eyes, we'll see that, like... It, all that honor and glory is not really worth it in the end. Um, and I think in the next episode, that's where you see that, that turning point in him. Um, but yeah, this kind of reeks of like those war films where again, you have these soldiers that are ready to go into battle and fight the enemy. And once they're like thrown into the thick of it, they, they, they get a rude awakening. So yeah, nice similarity there, I guess with, um, like the war film genre. In episode three, titled Troll, Askelad asks the lad, Floki the Foursquared, to double the price for the hit. Back at the village, a couple of naive youngsters eagerly await to accompany Leif Erikson Day and the mighty Tors to battle, although Leif knows that Tors has no intention of letting them step onto a battlefield. At sea, the mighty Tors discovers that Sorfin Torfin has stowed away on his ship, and gives him a Norse ass-whooping. Once the two ships reach the Faroe Islands, they are caught in Askelad's trap. One of his soldiers, Bjorn, eats a mushroom power-up and prepares to go apeshit on the Mighty Tors, but the latter proves to be the alpha male as he fucking leaps from his ship 
to the enemy ship in one bound and prepares to attack. There was a lot in this episode, like a lot. Um, just so much happened, both like giving us context on their on Thor's backstory, but then also like what in the present is is happening in that moment. So the first thing that that I think left the biggest impression on me was the the flashback we get to um, Thor is being an emotional an emotionless warrior um, before Ilva was born, but then that all changed when she you know came into this world and Helga, right, his wife. Mm-hmm. Helga demands that he gives his child a name, which I thought was great. That was such a smart story choice um, because it's clear that Thor's didn't have a change of heart on his own. Helga needed him to to see what she saw in their child. And even though she's a very calm, very timid person, and, and he even said that was the first time she, he ever saw her mad, she put her, her foot down in order to get him to realize like your life is different now it was a little bit different probably when they got married but your life is different now you are you are a father and if you die this child you know will will not have you in in their life and i I don't know it just it seemed really important to me because um it's one thing again to tell us a character is, is good it's another thing to show us a character is good and this i think really showed us that like at one point he wasn't that good like thor's i'm sure was a fine person, whatever, but he wasn't a a kind person, and this was that turning point when we he really became kind. Yeah, um, to comment a little further on that scene, I think for Helga to demand that Tors give a name to um, who we now know as Ilva, um, it kind of represents him seeing like not every life is expendable. There's a story behind any person that he had just killed on the battlefield. So for him to name the newborn after, I think his, he named it after his mother, right? Yeah. Elva, um, it gave him that sense of like humanity in realizing like there are things more important than, again, as we mentioned with the previous episode with being um, the greatest warrior on the battlefield. Yeah. And then even when they end up in their trap, Thor's continues to teach his son and and the young warriors or the young soldiers or whatever that killing isn't good, even if it means, you know, putting himself at risk. Like he's fighting without weapons. He's not killing anyone. He's just knocking them out in very similar, you know, Spider-Man fashion. Um, But I don't know, just to be that serious about it like he could have just said okay in this situation i'm going to make an exception i'm going to kill these people because if not they're going to kill me they're going to kill the soldiers and they're going to kill my son but no he he makes that conscious choice to say i'm even in this intense probably like extremely critical moment for my son i'm still not going to kill that's how important it is that he understands that killing is not something to be taken lightly and that it's not a good thing and i thought that was amazing yeah, he definitely sticks to his guns, even in this intense, um, intense situation. And I don't mean like physical guns, because obviously Thor's <laughs> is nonviolent. But also, can we just acknowledge that Thorfinn's a fucking moron for getting on that ship? Like, mm-hmm. what a dumbass little kid. And I, I knew that was going to happen. Like, I, I'm like, this kid's going to end up on the fucking boat, and it's going to be this situation. Like, up until this point... And even past this point, like there, there are a lot of things in Vinland Saga that are pretty predictable. Like I, I call them a mile away, um, and I think most people can. But I, it's still nice to see those things take shape because it plays to the larger theme of the show, the larger um, 
motif of the show um, that, you know, violence is not the answer, even in a world where violence is everything. Violence, again, like that's how you get into Valhalla, that it shows your your level of importance and, and your capability. It's just, it's it's an interesting dynamic. Mm-hmm. So moving on with episode four, A True Warrior, the Mighty Tours unlocks the one-man army perk and incapacitates a majority of Ascalad's men. But much in the vein of the Batman, he does not kill them. There Bjor- you go, Spider-Man or Batman. Right. Bjornki Kong steps up to the plate, but Tours makes quick work of him and challenges Ascalad to a duel. A sword fit, a sword fight of wit and might ensues, where the Mighty Tours emerges victorious, but surrenders himself to save Sorf and Torfin and his knobby need men. He then takes an arrow to the knee and the chest, and the shoulders, and the neck, and the arms, and implores Ascalad to be an honorable warrior. Sorfin Torfin wails at the death of his father, and stows away on one of Ascalad's ships, and thus begins the revenge of the Nords. It's like when you shoot a bull tranquilizer at a bull, or like an elephant tranquilizer at an elephant, and they still don't go down, so you just continue to shoot them with more tranquilizers, and they still don't go down. Like, I also think about, like, um, The Office, when with Stanley, yeah, when Dwight shoots shoots Stanley with like several um, bull tranquilizer darts, and he still doesn't go down until he has like eight or nine of them in him. That's what that reminded me of. Mm. I'm like, this man is dying clearly, um, but he's still standing. Like he didn't even move. Like he just you know moved. Like, he he jolted obviously when he got shot. But this man is crazy. He's crazy. But yeah, it's this is. Not very light, but major Game of Thrones spoilers for those of you who haven't already watched it yet. Although you've had like maybe 10 years to watch it. Yeah. Um, I think for us to lose towards so quickly is almost as impactful as Ned Stark's death in the very first season of Game of Thrones. Oh, it was a total Ned Stark moment. A hundred percent. I mean, in, in Game of Thrones, again, it's still a spoiler to Game of Thrones, you have um, Arya, right? She sneaks away, even though she's not supposed to. Um, it, she's not supposed to join that crowd, right? Because, um, well, I don't remember the, the whole scene. But anyway, there's a crowd. Something's happening on stage. Ned Stark is up there. Um, I think he's being questioned about something. And Arya is not supposed to be there. She sneaks away, climbs up a, a pillar of some sort, and then watches her father get killed. And this is the exact same situation again. Thorfinn was not supposed to be on that boat. He was not supposed to be there. And because he was, he, I guess, indirectly caused his father to die. Now, I I, I grapple with this a little bit because it could have been any one of the soldiers, right, that Bjorn could have grabbed and then held hostage. Mm -hmm. And I think in those situations, Thor's probably still would have self-sacrificed in order to save one of those younger soldiers. But it's obviously way more impactful because this is his own son and there's literally no chance no chance that thor's would do something that would get his son killed there's a slight chance that he would do something to save himself even if it meant one of the other soldiers got killed but there's absolutely no chance that that would happen knowing that thorfinn is the one that's being held captive so it's like it was very very like similar to game of thrones and again another moment that i think we all knew was coming um but it was just, I don't know, for me, it this was pretty pretty much as sad as the Game of Thrones moment. Yeah, and um, to elaborate on that a little bit more, it's like you don't expect like this main character who's almost of like All Might caliber to die so suddenly, like within the first three episodes. I mean, 
you said like we saw this coming um this was kind of like the mufasa moment for for torfin but it's still again only knowing thor's for three episodes like you still develop a a liking for the character and to see him fall like he had a very noble death but you know it was just sad to see him go yeah thor's is the shit like no one wants him to die he's awesome (laughs) but this this definitely broke thorfinn this was the this is when he snapped i think um both because it was unfair that he was killed because he clearly won that duel but I think also because, and, and I don't know if this is something that will be addressed later, and it hasn't, I don't think, been outright stated, but I'm sure he has that guilt in him. I'm sure he's on this journey to get revenge because partially he feels guilty. Like, had I not been on that ship, would my father had made a different choice to try and save himself? Or would there have been a different opportunity to, um, you know, or a different outcome? You know, maybe Bjorn wouldn't have thought to hold someone captive because they're all just normal so- soldiers, but in this case, because he's a child, he used that to his advantage, right? Mm-hmm. These are things like I'm, 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 I'm kind of thinking about, like from Thorfinn's perspective, it's I think it's a multi, um, it's like a multifaceted revenge arc. One more thing I wanted to mention about this episode is I quote that Thor's says I think before he, or sometime before he um, passes away at the end, and. I think this was probably going to stick with Torfin throughout the series, and maybe we'll see this play out in the second half. But it's the quote that a true warrior doesn't need a sword. Um, so again, going back on that theme of trying to stray away from violence and seeking a more peaceful path um, in dealing with others. Yeah, I, I love that moment too. I think even in his final moments, Thor's is still teaching his son. Like, that's, that's all we've kind of seen him do throughout this show so far. I mean, only four episodes in, but it's all we've seen so far is, like, he's constantly teaching his son the right thing, the right way to be, the right way to behave, the right way to look at different things in the world. And, again, in his final moments, he's continuing to do that. I also noted for episode four, which I think is consistent throughout the rest of these episodes, that the fight scenes are brutal and insane, but so well choreographed. Like, they're, there's really cool mix of brutal and beautiful all at the same time um i just love the way the the fight scenes flow but also have those hard-hitting moments you know like when the swords clash or when he when you know thor punches somebody and like immediately knocks them out um it's just it's very well done uh because i think about demon slayer right and those fight scenes are very fluid very elegant um, but yeah, the, these fight scenes in, in Vinland Saga have both the, the fluidity, is that a word <laughs> that mm-hmm. you see in Demon Slayer, but also like the hard hitting punches that you might see in like a different kind of anime. So I think they do a really good job of blending that. Yeah. And it's not like overly brutal. I mean, I think there was one part where, um, towards like dislocate someone's, I don't know if it was arm or like shoulder or something. Oh yeah. That was gross as fuck. Yeah. That was like probably the grossest, but Everything else um, with the way he attacked, again, it didn't leave you, like, squirming a lot in your seat. Like, they didn't make it violent for the sake of making it violent. Yeah. So moving on to episode five, The Troll's Son. Following the death of the Mighty Tors, Askeladd and his men travel to England and pillage a local town to resupply. Sorfin Torfin tries to kill Askeladd in his sleep, but cannot bring himself to do it. 
Instead, he incompetently tries to hunt for food and train himself in the nearby woods before properly challenging Askeladd to a duel. Of course, Askeladd defeats the little pipsqueak, but promises to duel Sorfentorfin again if the little shit can prove himself in battle. Meanwhile, in Iceland, Leif Erikson Day delivers the bad news to Helga and Ilva, who struggle to cope with the mighty Tors' death, while Leif promises to find Sorfentorfin for them. So here's the moment, to your point earlier, where we actually do see the soft side of Ilva. Um, she she goes on about her, her, her days or whatever, just doing the chores, you know, I don't know, doing whatever the hell she's doing. Um, but it's not until it's the evening and, and she is with her mom and she's working on a rug or some shit. And her mom's like, just just stop. Just take a moment. Like, you need a moment. It's clear that Ilva is trying to continue to be headstrong even with this horrible, horrible news. Um, and, and she's trying to avoid her emotions by keeping busy. Um, but it's I, I thought it was great to see her just stop, hug her mom, and just let all that emotion out. Because as cold and as heartless as she acts, I, I mean, she's Thor's daughter. She's going to have kindness in her heart. Yeah, it was a, a nice moment to see with Ilva, again, as, as bitchy as she was in the first episode. Because um, like you said, it's not it's not good to bottle up those kinds of emotions, especially with the death of your own father. But it was also nice just to see that Ilva tried to continue on with regular life and taking care of the village and helping out all the, the villagers and such yeah she doesn't give up she acknowledges that like well my father's dead and you know these things still have to happen for us to survive and she i think it's great that she steps up and takes the responsibility especially because her mom is sick um that was another great side that we saw of her like yeah she's not just some brat that like does what she's told she actually does step up and take charge yeah and again like spoilers here but i don't think we see Helga or Ilva or that settlement for quite some time so I don't know if they'll um, show up in part two but I would love to see more of like how Ilva's story develops yeah for sure um also with this episode first of all I don't understand how they lost Thorfinn in the first place because they said he like hit on the ship because it's his dad's ship and then everyone else goes back to Iceland like how how the fuck did you even lose Thorfinn right like the kid's screaming and crying all the time. How did you separate from him? Like, I did not understand how that happened. They don't even talk about how that happened. To me, that's a big plot hole. Well, didn't he like willingly go on Askeladd's ship? No. I, well, maybe. I thought that they had Thor's ship kind of trailing behind them because no one else was on it. They had it tied with a rope. And then he comes out of nowhere. And then they're like, oh, look, it's the kid. Like They were surprised to see him on there. Um, so I took it as like he hid on the ship and then, I don't know, Leif Erikson lost track of him. But in my mind, I'm just like, how did that even go down? Right? Like, mm-hmm. if there's one person Leif Erikson would make sure to take back with him, it would be Thorfinn. Yeah, well, I don't think he would want to go back to Askeladd and say, hey, have you seen that kid whose dad you just killed? <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, the only other thing I noted about this episode is that um, I think that all of thor's teachings for thorfinn uh i think they they took hold at least to some degree because thorfinn understands the sense you know the, the concept of honor from his dad and he does not kill Askeladd in his sleep um that i think was a very important part of this episode and what's interesting 
is that Askeladd gives him the advice of like, don't just swing a sword around. And that actually ends up saving Thorfinn's life against the wolf. He realizes he can't just swing a sword around. So he, he, um, you know, comes up with another plan and uses the knife, which is the knife given to him by Thor's. Um, and that's his first technical kill, I guess, is, is mm-hmm. the wolf. So yeah, I just, it's interesting. Like this is the, the guy he wants to kill. He hates him, but it just so happens that his advice saved his life. Moving on with episode six, The Journey Begins. Apparently everything before this was a prologue, according to the episode title. But anyways, Team Askeladd travels to Gainsborough and makes a deal with the Danish forces in the area to help them conquer England in exchange for loot. But those English chaps attack the Viking camp at night, and after being saved by Askeladd, Sorfin Torfin unlocks his first kill achievement with his father's short sword. Although horrified at first, he learns to embrace being a cold, sadistic killer and grows up to be a discount link. After being tended to his wounds by an English girl and her mother, you'd think he would have a change of heart. But nope, he signals Askeladd's troops to attack their village. What a way to return the favor, bro. It was weird that it took them six episodes to give context to, like, the Vikings and their war with the English, but I I guess it makes sense because this is one that, that really comes into play with the plot. Yeah, the one thing that I found interesting with this episode is that we see Thorfinn's first like human casualty and that initial shock on his face of him realizing like the price of taking someone else's life. Um, which I think like why Thor's was trying to instill in him like make love not war basically. <laughs> um, but you already see that Thorfinn has a sort of attraction to to killing people which i think he like he stabs the guy a couple more times um just because like after that initial shock he starts to find it like satisfying um i kind of disagree i don't know to me i didn't take it as like satisfying i think he was just so overrun with emotion he needed to vent and in that moment he was venting and getting all that emotion frustration out like he's been so terrified to kill anybody so terrified to be killed and then he finally successfully kills somebody and he's just like mm. overwhelmed and just needs to release that somehow. Um, but to be fair, though, as we see as the show goes on, I think I don't know if he gets like a satisfaction out of killing, but he definitely finds it as an like an accomplishment. Right. Like when he can up the ante and and just, you know, slice through people like it's nothing. Yeah. And I don't know if we'll start or we'll see like this conflict in him of again, he's like a. He's starting to become more of an like expert swordsman and killer, but you still have the lessons instilled in him by Thor's of like trying to stay away from the violent aspect of your of your personality. And we see a little bit of that in this episode too. I mean, the English woman takes him in, cares for him. He's obviously very uncomfortable because this is the first bit of kindness he's felt basically since his father was killed um and he i think he doesn't know how to process this and i don't know the whole this whole episode just really got to me like i was very surprised by how this panned out because everything up until this point had been very predictable as as we've said a couple of times now but this was not predictable i thought it was going to go the route of you know he he feels this kindness for the first time in a long time he sees that this woman is caring for him despite him being quote unquote the enemy in this war and i f- i figured thorfinn would have like a change of heart and that he would betray the vikings and 
not kill the soldiers and not alert them to you know where the village is but then he does it anyway he does it anyway he tries to save her yes but he does it anyway he kills the soldiers he lights the the house on fire he brings in the enemy to kill everybody and in that moment when the english woman sees him after he had killed the soldiers the way they animated his face he looked like a freaking monster like he looked like an animal just like breathing heavy eyes bulging just like disgusting because i think that one shows how the english woman woman saw him in that moment but two it also shows that you know what his behavior is really like someone showed you kindness you had a chance to i don't know run and hide or not alert the vikings and save this town but he's kind of an animal in this moment by betraying their trust and and ruining the whole town yeah i think he's just so driven by revenge that everything else he kind of brushes away to the side i think there was like a moment where he realizes like he sees the woman and and the shock on her face but again he's just so driven by his anger that like he can't show that compassion for that split second yeah you're right there is that 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 shot of him or i think where he recalls his mom and sister and you can tell he he feels a bit of remorse but then he just like quickly shrugs it off like he takes a deep breath shrugs it off and then continues on with the Vikings. so at this point it's hard to tell what level of like morals or values he really has because while he was raised by kind parents he's seen such horror at such a young age and is filled with such rage and has like this bloodthirsty need for revenge that it's like who is he really who is thorfinn really we know so little about him we know about the people around him but we don't really get any any glimpses into like his inner monologue or get a sense for like basically what he's thinking it's just hard to read him yeah and i think hopefully again in these later episodes we'll start to see more of what's going on in thorfinn's mind Last thing I want to say really quick, I'm very glad that there was a time skip because I was tired of like little Thorfinn crying and screaming all the time. Like all that kid did was scream and cry, mm-hmm. mostly cry. I'm like, damn, this kid cries a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, props to the voice actor. <laughs> oh, for sure. As a kid for like making him so whiny. But yeah, listening to that for another six episodes would have been like ear splitting. So in episode 7, Normani, the mysterious king of Sweden, who is about the same size and girth as Robert Baratheon, withdraws his troops from England in the winter. Since this leaves Team Askeladd bored out of their minds, they head to France and send Sorf and Torfin to negotiate with the Normans regarding their brawl and one services. The troops deliver on their promises by sabotaging an enemy fort, and Sorf and Torfin delivers the head of their leader to Askeladd, a request asked by the ladder before he would agree to another duel with the angsty Icelander. And thus, Askeladd once again honors his wishes. I wrote one thing for this episode, and this is the only thing I'm going to say. Fucking Naruto run. Mm -hmm. He jumps and does the fucking Naruto run, and like, that's the stupidest thing. Like, it just, the show's been, I mean, it has some, some humor, of course, but it's been so, like, serious and, like, like just very well done and then there's this naruto run and i'm like what the fuck was that (laughs) yeah it kind of reminds you that you're watching an anime (laughs) but yeah i guess you have to you have to add the naruto run somewhere gotta go fast Mm -hmm. uh one thing i wanted to note in this episode was the weird use of like translation um where like everyone's supposed supposedly speaking in their respective languages 
but the vocals are kept in Japanese. I think this is hap- this happens like when they send Torfin to negotiate with the Normans who are French because I think Torfin's speaking Norse or whatever the Vikings had spoke, and then there's a translator who's translating it to to French for them, um, which is weird because like you hear Torfin speaking in Japanese, and then you hear the translator again speaking in Japanese. Um, it was kind of strange, like. Again, comparing this to watching Vikings, their approach was usually if they meet people of a different like culture or language, the show will have them speaking in their respective historical languages and then transition into the English. But here, I mean, I guess like it's hard to find a Japanese voice actor who can properly emulate like Norse or French. Um, but and if I just, you don't, then you get the whole great pretender situation right. where it's like jarring with other voice actors. Yeah. It, yeah. Um, so I think they, they did their best with it. Um, cause I think the dialogue like explicitly mentioned, like they're, they're speaking in different languages, but it was just, it was just strange how they took the la- approach of language. It was a clever way to overcome that problem of like letting the audience know that they are not speaking the same language while they are technically speaking the same language, but yeah, it was, it was interesting. And one more thing I wanted to note is again, we have our qualms with seeing 3d and anime. I think towards the end of the episode, you see Ascalad's boats like jumping off the waterfall, but it just looks very campy. And I noticed as they continue traveling downstream, they don't leave any water trails in the water. Like, the water looks undisturbed. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I was so distracted by the fact that there was CGI that I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Um, again, with Studio, like, they do an amazing job with this series, but any 3D elements in any anime, like, they need to learn how to perfect that. In Episode 8, Beyond the Edge of the Sea, Team Askeladd heads to stingy feudal lord Gorm's village with their spoils. Sorfin Torfin has his rematch with Askeladd, but loses when the latter uses his anger to blindly attack. As the troops party and drink their brains out, Sorfin Torfin mopes about his loss in the bitter cold and has a vision of his father, until a slave girl named Hordeland interrupts him and asks about what lies beyond the eponymous edge of the sea. Sorfin Torfin spins a utopic tale about Vinland to keep her hopes up before the troops head back to England and reach a heavily blockaded little town called London. So in, at one point early in the episode, um, Askeladd says to Thorfinn, everyone is a slave to something. And it's very clear that Thorfinn is a slave to, you know, his revenge. I'm curious to know what Askeladd is a slave to. I, I think he pretends like it's money, right? Like that's his driving force. He needs money, blah, blah, blah. But there's something else going on there, right? Like he's, I think he's a more complex character than we know at this point. And I'm, I'm interested to see what he is a slave to. I think he is still burdened by Tor's final words to him, like talking to him warrior to warrior. And yeah, like that's like, obviously he's toying around with Torfin because um, Torfin just wants to get his revenge on, on Askeladd. But like, I think Askeladd is struggling with what he has to do with Torfin. Yeah, I can see that. that that's a good point. Um, Cause he does have a flashback at one point, right? Of like, what Thor said to him, or he like recalls it in some way, like Thorfinn? or no, what Thor says, or what Thor says to Askeladd, yeah, um, or like I don't know something, <laughs> something yeah. like that. Yeah, I it's been a while since I saw this episode, but 
yeah, I'm sure that happens at one point, but, but yeah, I think that point of everyone being a slave to something like will come into play uh, later on with Askeladd. I also, so going back to that theme of like Thor's was always teaching his son something and he, Thorfinn will continually have these, these moments of recollection, um, you know, of these, these values and morals that, that Thor's instilled in him. Um, and this was another one of those moments. So when, when he's, you know, talking to the slave girl, he's really rude to her at first, doesn't care about her. And then he has that flashback of when his father saved that slave, even at the cost of like all of their sheep or whatever. And it's very apparent that, you know, his memories of his father and his father's teachings are what keep him grounded and what keep him human. And I think that's going to be a very critical point in Thorfinn's character development because, I mean, he's surrounded by these like rebellious, ridiculous Vikings who are even called the pirates. I think of like the Viking people or whatever, like they're, Mm -hmm. they're clearly like on this different level of, of Viking mentality. At least other Vikings have a sense of honor. These guys don't. And he has joined them since he was young. He's very impressionable and he has to kind of adapt to their way of being. And this moment was like, he started off that way. He started off as very much like a pirate type of Viking, not caring, just being rude or whatever. And then he remembered his father and he's like, Oh shit no, this is not the right way to, to treat somebody. Mm-hmm. One last thing I noted for this episode, which was a kind of nice comic relief, is when Askeladd arrives in the village, um, there are some swooners who are like waiting for him outside wherever he's taken his quarters. And one of the swooners is just a tall gentleman. <laughs> among this sea of like young females and like he's he's as much captivated by Escalade as these women are yeah i love that i actually took me a second to even find him i know he's like on the left side of the screen but for some reason in that first shot i could hear him i'm like is that a guy's voice but it wasn't until like the second or third shot of of that group and i was like oh there's the guy he's right in front but for some reason i just like did not see him yeah so it was a nice touch of of humor in this humorless world so far i guess (laughs) i will say that's a good point i feel like vinland saga as a whole has a great balance of humor and action um they they don't overdo it with the humor it's not try hard humor it's like just enough comic relief to i guess make you as the viewer feel like you have a moment to breathe among like all of this very dramatic very sad stuff going on Mm -hmm. next in episode nine the battle of london bridge the London Bridge blockade is spearheaded by the Danish defector Torkel the Tank Engine. Askeladd goads Sorfin Torfin to another duel if he can deliver Torkel's head. And for real, Torfin needs to stop falling for this act because it's getting old, Viking bro. Sorfin Torfin attacks Torkel the Tank Engine, but the brute nearly obliterates the angsty Icelander to the point of death. Torfin barely escapes and cuts off a couple of Torkel's fingers, but the big man is unfazed and eager to cross paths with the little shit again. Realizing that they're at an impasse, the king leaves his son, Prince Canute, to continue assaulting the bridge with henchman Ragnar, while the rest of the troops, times Team Askeladd, heads to Wessex. Two notes about this. I love that Torkel shouts out his moves, like their wrestling moves. Like He has the kill buster and the log dropper um, when he's attacking the Viking and Danish forces. That's very, very anime. Yes. And also, why does he look like... He reminded me of Dwight Howard 
like the basketball player. <laughs> Just the way that his face looks um, was very reminiscent of Dwight Howard for me. Um, and actually, there's one more quote here that I think Thorfinn says when he realizes how much like Torkel just loves violence, and I think this again highlights his his conflict with um, violence versus peace, which is he asks like, "What's so enjoyable about battle?" So again, another example of I guess of what Tors is, has instilled with him regarding like killing people and and having a violent side. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I didn't I heard that quote, but I didn't think anything of it at the at the time. Um, but you're right; like it is, it's it's important that we hear Thorfinn say that because again, we don't get a lot of his monologues. At least I don't think so. Um, and when we finally do kind of get his, I mean, he said it out loud, but I'll say inner thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that's that is kind of surprising to hear him say. He's constantly, I don't know, trying to figure out like he he's constantly grappling with being a viking and being thor's son Mm -hmm. which are two very different things no that's a really good analogy to make um when we again look at torfin's actions and get into his inner thoughts in episode 10 ragnarok canute the mute proves to be an ineffective leader for the london siege as he shelters himself in prayer once Torkel the tank engine realizes that the prince is leading the siege, however, he decides to attack their camp and hold the prince hostage. Meanwhile, Sorfin Torfin has a fever dream about his homeland and his father and becomes conflicted about the revenge path he is taking. And Team Askeladd sits around basically doing nothing until they are informed of Prince Canute's current predicament. Askeladd decides to save the prince and use it as leverage against the king and raise some Ragnarok in the process. Again, we see here... Torkel's fascination with being a violent man because he just throws a very large stone, I think, into the camp of the prince, which I don't even know if that's humanly possible. But again, this is a reminder that we are watching an anime, I guess. Um, Another thing is it's interesting to note that Canute, the prince of Denmark, and Ragnar are both Christian because obviously like Vikings historically had worshipped Odin and Thor and all those Norse gods. So I think religion is going to start playing an element in this show alongside the whole quest for revenge. Um, so it was interesting to see Canute praying with the Christian priest um, as this battle is raging on around him. In episode 11, A Gamble, Torkel the tank engine is in hot pursuit of Team Askeladd and the Danish army, and makes quick work of a splinter army group threatening to take down his troops and save Canute the Mute. Meanwhile, Askeladd has some big brain time by starting a forest fire to confuse all combatants, and once again has Sorfin Torfin do the dirty work for him by capturing the prince. He encounters Torkel the tank engine in the process, who willingly lets the prince go and reveals his relationship with the mighty Thors as the only man who is stronger than him. Sorfin Torfin takes Canute the Mute to Askeladd, and as the latter is about to swear his allegiance, the prince takes off his helmet and reveals that he looks like Zelda. Oh my god, he does look like Zelda. <laughs> it's yeah, it's like Link and Zelda. That's that's weird. Yeah. Although like the that like gender reveal, I think anyone could have called it from a mile away. But he is a guy. He just yeah. is a very feminine guy. Like yeah, no, I I totally thought the same thing. Like when they're like, oh, let me look upon your face. I'm like, he, it's a chick. Like it's it's a chick, and obviously mm-hmm. it's not a chick. It's just a very feminine. Kind of like um in Nosuke. But... In Demon Slayer. Yeah, although personality-wise, totally different. Yeah. 
uh two things i wanted to note again there's a there's a theme of religion in this episode where i think as the Dan- as Ascalad's troops are marching um they do a critique of like jesus christ in a comparison with thor and odin um where i think they were kind of rid- ridiculing how christ is like this weak man who's hanging from a cross while like thor could easily like defeat him with a hammer um so again more i guess maybe foreshadowing into how religion is going to play a part in this series and the other thing is anime makes viking lore sound so anime because <laughs> i think they those soldiers start to tell the tale of like being taken to valhalla by the valkyries and it just sounds like something that um anime or manga writer would put together and they even have like the the stylized um visuals of of that tale and in the final episode for our part one Episode 12, The Land on the Far Bank. As predicted by Team Ascalad's resident audio expert, The Ear, Torkel the tank engine is still in pursuit, so Ascalad sends a letter to an ally requesting for backup. That backup is revealed to be Gratianus and his Welsh army, who also have a grudge against the English and hope to install the sheepish Prince Zelda as King of England so that Wales can be left alone. Also, Sorfin Torfin is assigned to be Prince Zelda's bodyguard. Who knows if they'll develop a budding romance. As the combined forces head to the kingdom of Brickinyog, they are ambushed by another unknown force. But for Odin's sake, how many ambushes does this show need? Lastly, we get a brief glance of an older Leaf Erikson day. Clearly, he's not doing a good job at finding Sorfin Torfin. Hinga dinga fucking Durgan. So the prince and Thorfinn are total opposites in every way. Personality, upbringing, opportunities in life um their obviously their place in society their fathers are completely different people <laughs> um so i'm i'm super excited to see this dynamic this this i don't know if you want to call it a relationship but just them being forced to like yeah but the buddy cop relationship um i'm, in, I'm interested to see more the, i'm excited to watch the second half because i want to see how this unfolds mm-hmm. um i didn't write too much about this episode in particular but i did note when the one soldier asked the priest to talk more about love because he's genuinely interested in it that was just another like example another moment that reminds you that the vikings live a very cold and brutal life they don't even understand the concept of love right like Mm. thor's and helga got married but like it seemed it seems as though they care about each other and I, i think they do truly love each other but before thor's had that change of heart when Ilva was born, I, I imagine that he was still kind of that cold Viking, just kind of saw Helga as more of like, um, I don't know, like utility almost. Mm-hmm. Um, but now he obviously loves her and, and sees him as his wife and sees his children as his children. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's clear that this is not something that's a part of the Viking way of being. And it's just such a foreign concept to them to, to hear about love and, and probably kindness in, in general. Yeah, the way I took it is, again, this is another aspect of religion, the show, where this could possibly show, again, that historical context of Vikings converting from Norse religion to Christian to Christianity. But I think, again, to your point, it also plays into the whole 
idea with Tor's trying to press nonviolence into Torfin's inner being, I guess. Um, so who knows, maybe religion will be that factor that really opens Torfin's eyes to, to seeking that path, but we'll see, I guess, in the second half. So as a general thought about the show so far, um, I, I think Thorfinn can be viewed as stupid for being told what to do by the guy who killed his father. But mm-hmm. I think Thorfinn's playing the long game. I think he is smarter than what the show is giving him credit for at this point. He's had food, protection, sort of, um, and most importantly, a chance to learn how to fight because his whole end goal is to fight and kill Askeladd. Um, so every time he does something big, he gets his reward of being able to duel Askeladd. It's like a very strange dynamic. Um, Thorfinn says he isn't controlled by Askeladd, but in some ways he is. He has no choice but to do what he says, or he doesn't get an honorable duel. On the flip side, Askeladd says he's just some kid that's following them around and he doesn't care about him. But many of his plans have been successful only because of Thorfinn. Even um, Bjorn, I think, right? He's the big guy. Mm-hmm. Even Bjorn calls Askeladd out at one point and says, like, he says that, you know, he trusts him even though he pretends not to. So it's almost like in the same theme of, like, everyone is a slave to something in, in this sense between, you know, in the relationship between Askeladd and Thorfinn. Thorfinn's a slave to Askeladd because he needs him to grant him an honorable duel because he won't kill him in an, a non-honorable way because that's against what Thor's would have wanted. And then Askeladd is a slave to Thorfinn because he needs him to actually be successful as a leader and to, for his plans to pan out but then also because to your point earlier he has this like this this thing in the back of his head that just constantly reminds him of the guilt that he that he I don't know the, the guilt that he has for what he did to Thor's because it was so dishonorable yeah it's cl- the show is clearly setting them up for like a big showdown at the end where it's, it'll probably be a, like a battle of strength, but also a battle of like wits and, and emotion. And kind of what I mentioned earlier, I feel like Askeladd is, he is a, a very multi-layered character, but we haven't been introduced to those other layers yet. I think the show is setting us up to, like, I think we're supposed to hate Askeladd, but I think the show is trying to get us to not hate him because I think there's more to him. Like, for example, why did he change his tune when he saw the prince's face, right? Like, mm-hmm. he didn't care about this guy. He was going to pawn him off to the highest bidder, whichever side of, you know, the war would, would pay more money for him. But then the second he saw him and saw his demeanor, he, like, changed. It was weird. And and I really want to know more about why that is. I think that's going to start to dig into Askeladd's backstory, is my guess. Yeah, for me, I just want Torfin to be a more likable character. Um, I know like the, like the story revolves around him, but again, to kind of tie this with Assassin's Creed, specifically Assassin's Creed three, Torfin reminds me of the protagonist of that video game. Um, his name was Connor who was just very unlikable and sort of an anti-hero, but like for him to just be constantly ridden with anger and thoughts of vengeance, um, it's hard to be sympathetic towards his motivation to avenge his father's death. Um, but the more interesting aspect of Torfin again is him wrestling with the 
the idea of exacting violence versus, again, following his father's wishes and turning to a life of peace. Um, so I do look forward to seeing that hopefully being developed more in the second half of, of Vinland Saga. I would say all in all, I'm very much enjoying the show. Um, I I trust that it's going to really pick up in the second half and that we're going to, I don't know, it's, just, it's going to amplify the story that we've seen so far. And I'm I'm really very much excited to see more of, you know, Askeladd and, and Thorfinn's dynamic, Thorfinn and the prince's dynamic, Thorfinn in general. Like that kid is, he's, he's, an, he's I don't know, he's an anomaly. He's like a nut you can't crack. Like I want to know more about him. Um, I want him to be more likable. Like at this point, Askeladd is more likable than Thorfinn, but yeah. I think it's it's understandable why Thorfinn is the way that he is. But I'm hopeful that we'll have more intimate moments with Thorfinn and try to understand him better as as a character. Yeah, um, and at first glance, Finland Saga looks like your your typical revenge storyline, um, where like the protagonist is not as engrossing as I had hoped. But I think for the show to use like this Viking history as a backdrop to the story is a definite highlight for me. And I think it mixes well with what I would call like your anime essentials. Um, but again, I'll have to reserve my judgment um, for the second half to see if the show really kicks into full gear, piques my interest a little bit more, and ties up these, the story between Thorfinn and Askeladd in a neat little Viking bow. And that wraps up episode 23 of Strictly Anime. New episodes premiere every other Monday at 9 a.m. Central. You can follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series. Check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com, where you can reach out to us to share your thoughts on the anime that we review or any other feedback on our podcast. You can also find more information about our other podcast, Strictly Jojo, which is dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe. Stay healthy, stay weeb. Inga dinga dargan. <laughs>